Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you again for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And this week, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Liz Scott. So Liz, you want to say hello to everyone? Hello, everyone, and thank you for having me, Vicki. Oh, my pleasure. I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into some information with you and hearing about your work. Um, so Liz, first, introduce yourself by telling us what state that you live in in the Northwest. I live in Portland, Oregon. Beautiful Yay! Oregon. <laughs> yep, right down my neck of the woods. I'm only a few minutes away from you. <laughs> so yeah, it's a gorgeous day here, isn't it? Yes, it's very gorgeous. Wonderful day. Um, we're so listeners. Um, we're heading into. Sometimes people will listen to these way after they're re, they're released. So we're heading into our beautiful summertime. So the sun's out. The, my tomatoes are starting to grow. It's a kind of a big deal around our house. <laughs> Yeah. So Liz, I like to ask a little bit about um, your background. So tell us what, if you still have a day job and if you're, what your day job is or was, tell us a little bit about yourself. I certainly do have a day job. I'll have a day job forever. Um, Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Because I love it. I love what I do. I'm a a psychologist in private practice. I've been doing this for, geez, um, over 40 years now. Oh, nice. And um, uh, I love it. I love my clients. I love the work. Um, at this point, I work part-time. I have an office in my home so I can control my schedule. And um, it's, it's perfect. I, I love, love it. it. I love it. It's great. You know what? If you don't love what you're doing, it's such a, such a struggle to find joy in life. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm really glad that you like what you're doing. Um, I had another really a psychotherapist. Um, Philip Kennedy came on, um, and he did a he wrote a book called The Writer's Crucible about the journey that we go through as artists and writers. And we just do- dove into his book and the two series podcasts. So we had a really great time talking about that. So I respect your work. I think I think what you do is fabulous. That you can be there for people in need. And so thank you for what you do. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Yeah. So let's talk just a little bit about, well, oh, here's my stumper question I ask everybody that comes on. So get ready for it. Um, What would you like new readers or listeners, because most of my listeners will end up being your readers, I hope for you, what would you like them to know about you? And it could be anything. It could be about your writing journey. It can be about you personally. Just one thing you would like to share with them. Oh, wow. Um, Number one. (laughs) Yeah, well, so I have really tried to be brutally honest in this book. Mm-hmm. And um, not only honest about um, circumstances, this is a memoir, circumstances yeah. of my family, and, and, um, but also about myself. So I think if, if anybody got thrown under the bus in this book, it's, it's me. So, <laughs> I love it. Well, I always wonder, you know, I haven't written a memoir um, and I'm working on my first novel, so I don't know if you know anything about me at all, but the podcast came out of me asking authors how they got published and their journey, and then I came to a, a podcast, which has taken time away from my first book, but I'm still working on it. But I've always had the idea of writing a memoir kind of story, but I get nervous about that fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, sure. for sure. Yeah, I just, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a, 
a factor of my advanced age (laughs) and and all the kind of self-examination I've done that I've just come to the point where I've shed myself of of most any shame that I might Mm -hmm. have felt about being open and revealing myself and and really do believe that the truth sets us free. Mm -hmm. I really really do believe that old adage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a believer of it too. So I agree with you 100% in that. Um, I've seen it in my own life and the life of my friends and family. So I agree with that. But do you think because you're um, a psychologist that it might've been easier for you, or do you think it might've been a little harder for you? Cause you would know maybe how people would react. <laughs> yeah. I didn't give a lot of thought to how my clients would react at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's what you're talking about, but in, I think, um, look, I think most of us, uh, or it, I think it's safe to say that most of us that go into this field to some large extent, are motivated by wanting to examine their own lives and their own families. Mm-hmm. And so I've been on this journey of self-examination for, you know, forever. And, um, and then, uh, so I brought that, that kind of uh, lens to my writing. And that's the kind of writing I'm interested in reading and the kind of writing I want to do. I love it. And maybe, just maybe, somebody that doesn't know you will read it and and come to a place of awareness that they need to start doing some examination as well. So that that can be the hope, right? <laughs> that would be so wonderful. That would be just an amazing outcome. Okay, so listeners and readers, so if you if you listen or you listen to this and you get Liz's book and you read it and it speaks to you in any way, shape, or form, make sure you reach out to and tell her. <laughs> I'd love that. I would love to hear from people. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about the writing process for you. Was this a you said you've been examining, you know, your family and your life for quite a long time. Was were you writing the whole process during that whole time, or did you sit down one day and say, I'm going to write the story? How did it go for you? Yeah. Um, so in some ways I've been writing this book my whole life. Um, and that is that I've been, I've been thinking about it and I've been trying to formulate, um, sort of narrative stories around it. Um, I, I frankly could not start actually writing until after my mother died, which was in 2005. Uh Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, partly that was because, I just felt like it would have been needlessly unkind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and also one of the things that my, um, my wonderful writing teacher at the time used to say was that he thought it was really important for material to be sort of well digested in order for you to have uh, enough narrative distance so that your writing didn't just sound like diary entries. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. You know, I needed to have enough, um, I just needed to have it sink in enough. So I really didn't start writing in earnest till maybe, I don't know, five years ago or so. Um, You know, it's mulling around in my mind, but I had written a lot of short stories before then. I've been published in several literary journals. Um, So I did fiction work like that. But in Uh terms of this, this project, it was about five years ago that I started writing in earnest. And I have a wonderful, wonderful writing group um, that was incredibly helpful and supportive along the way. And, um, without whom I don't think I would have been able to, I'd still be staring at a blank page. I hear you. My writing group has my godsend. I tell you, they keep me going on the weeks when I'm like, I, I just can't do anymore. Or I'm sick of this character or whatever, or oh, right. I'm in the weeds, you know, yes. 
and they're like, Vicki, trust your dialogue or trust this. And then I go back and rewrite it. It's so much better. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So wonderful. Well, bravo to your writer's group. So um, I love this. And I love the fact that what you had said, because it was so funny because I'd forgotten today that you were going to be coming on and, and you're, you'd written a memoir and I was just reading the latest um, writer's digest magazine came this week out and they have a whole section in there about writing authentically in memoirs. And I was reading it and it was almost like it set me up for this conversation with you. And it did. One of the advice was to have some distance and to definitely write the stories in a narrative, in a set aspect of, they don't have to be fictional characters, but it needs to be in a fictional format to make the story feel authentic. I thought that was just really smart. So that's great. I'm going to look for that. Yeah, it was interesting. I was like, how funny. Because after I looked up, I go, okay, who am I interviewing today? Oh, Liz Miller. How I love when things like that happen. (laughs) That's so great. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us um, a little bit about your publishing journey. Is this your first book that's been published? And if so, did you self-publish, hybrid publish, or was it um, a traditional publish route? Okay, so um, like I said, I've had several, um, actually maybe 10 or 12 uh, short stories published in literary journals. Oh, fantastic experience. (laughs) It was great. It was That was thrilling. And then um, I'm co-author of a self-help book that came out um, in 2013 that was self-published. Nice. Okay. And then this book, um, which uh, I had my official Powell's bookstore launch on April 23rd. Um, is through a small press. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on the Pals Bookstore launch. Yay. (laughs) That was an amazing event. That was was definitely a life's highlight for me. But um, yeah, yeah, and for for anybody that is is, uh, out there wanting to go on this journey, for me, it was a numbers game. I worked Mm -hmm. really, really hard on a query letter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I brought that query letter back and forth to my writing group until I loved it. Mm-hmm. And and then I just <laughs> I just cold called a lot of small presses because I I think my book is a it's it's an odd enough book that it wouldn't have I don't think any of the large presses would have wanted to take a chance on it yeah uh, so um, I thought small press and I love small presses so I, I do too yeah I think they're awesome. You know I originally started out this journey because the podcast came out from me doing a lot of questions and interviewing authors that have been published because I couldn't decide what I was going to do. I have the book, I'm working on edits and I'm like, kind of was like, now what, you know? And so I originally thought I was going to do self-publishing and I still kind of lean towards that idea, but I love small presses that are almost hybrid small press or powerful enough to really give you some community and support. Exactly. And, and but you got to find the right one, right? <laughs> so. You do, you do. And I mean, I I think I, I figured that somebody that loved my book was going to be, you know, of like mind to me. Mm-hmm. And so that was already feeling like the right place to be. And then, um, you know, I met my editor and I love her mm-hmm. um, and, and she was amazing to work with. So uh, it was, it was a fantastic experience. Well, I'm so happy I had that great experience. I love when those experiences come along on the podcast because I'm finding that it's, it's a very unique journey almost for every book for an author. Cause I've had some authors that have done 
all self-publishing, then they go to hybrid publishing, they go to traditional route, and it's just a different journey for the book, a different story. So, yeah. so very good. Well, thank you for sharing that. So listeners, make sure to get on my show notes because we'll have um, Liz's information there. You'll have her website and you'll be able to see the book. The cover is actually very beautiful. Um, <laughs> and and it, it's striking. It's an, a striking cover. So I'm not going to share with you guys what it looks like because I want you to go and look for it, guys. <laughs> um, so... Let's talk a little bit about um, kind of the, the storyline a little bit, because it says that you used um, some photographs and some letters and some other things as you were writing this. Can you d- dive a little deeper into the process for you? Did, what kind of research did you do? I mean, was it just all stories that you knew from your past or did you go deeper than that? Yeah, so... Um Let's see. I, one of the one of the real themes of this book is how little information I have about my mm-hmm. family, um, mm-hmm. and so in a, in a lot of ways, this was you know sort of a, a an, an excavation trying to find more information. Um, I had, and I also have a very bad memory. Mm, okay, so that that was a challenge. So mm-hmm. I found um, some photographs. I found some old letters. Um, I, um, you know, talked to my sister who's got a, she doesn't have a great memory either, but it's a little, <laughs> it's a little bit better than mine. Yeah. I actually, I have a childhood best friend. She was, we were friends from kindergarten through high school that we, we kind of, um, I've got a chapter in the book about how we kind of grew each other up mm-hmm. and, um, she has a fantastic memory. So I, I talked to her, um, and I started just, this book is not, um, doesn't have a kind of story narrative arc. It has an emotional arc, okay. but it's kind of goes back and forth in time. It's um, disjointed, or I don't know if that's the right word. It's, it's, um, it's not linear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not linear. Um, and I have a, another thing about me besides my uh, short, uh, my bad memories that I have a short attention span. So um, I wrote these small snippets. I would just kind of write these discrete chapters. They ended up being chapters. Some of them are extremely short. Mm-hmm. And then had to figure out a way to organize them, which was a really interesting process because I have like, I don't know, 80 or 85 of them. Oh, Wow. Yeah, so it, that was really a challenge to try to figure out how to organize it all. Especially since you're not doing it linear. So, you know, linear would be like the logical thing. I would right. think you could organize them. So that's interesting. That yeah, was. It was a very interesting. I, I used um, three by five cards and I mm-hmm. had them spread out on my floor and I kept changing the order. And what I realized is that, again, I wanted an emotional arc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that the, the, the narrative part of it was sort of took second place to the, to the emotional arc mm-hmm. and sort of supported the emotional arc. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, that is an awesome description. So you have some really great reviews on your website. So like, again, I'm going to point all my listeners and future or your readers to go to your website, but you have some really wonderful reviews on there. Um, so did you have... Are these individuals that you knew that were like beta readers or they, they, they were in your writer's group? Because they're all great authors, too. They're- they are. <laughs> they are. I really feel so happy and lucky about that. Um, only one of the people is in my writing group. The other people, um, there's one person that I did not know at all, but my um, publisher sent a book to. Um, so that was fun. And um, 
that was the review from uh, Film and Book Globe or Book and Film Globe. I can't remember mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what it is. And then um, we just reached out to other people who might be willing to uh, read the book and blurb it. How nice. Yeah, it was great. Beautiful. Well, I have to ask too now that um, you mentioned you had photographs. Is the picture on the cover? Is that a family photo? It is. That's oh, how beautiful. How wonderful. I love it. <laughs> I'm just drawn to old photos. I don't have a lot of photos of myself growing up. I have a few or um, even, you know, ancestral photos of grandparents and things like that but I'm very much drawn to them that, I think that's the writer side of me every time I see yeah. a photo I want to know the story behind it <laughs> yeah, for sure and actually if I can if I can say um one of my um fellow writing group members is uh designs book covers and she oh. did for me and it was wonderful because she knew my book so well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, she took a black and white photo colorized it in that way, faded out. Well, I don't want to give away too much, but no, no, it's just beautiful. Everybody's going to be looking at it. If they're not driving, so if you're driving on I five, <laughs> listen, don't look at it until you get to where you need to go. <laughs> exactly, don't. <laughs> yes, yes, please. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. I love it. Well, um, also, so send me if you wouldn't mind her contact information. She's, if she's listed, I'll add her to the show notes so yeah. that. I have a lot of aspiring authors and people that listen and they're looking for contacts in the Northwest to help them with this kind of a thing. So, so I'm always happy to promote that. Wonderful. Um, so Liz, let's just dive in. Um, I know that listeners are probably going, okay, let's enough talk. Let's listen to this a little bit of the story. So um, share with us what you want to share with before the reading, um, whatever backstory, whatever information you need to give. And I'm going to go all, quiet like I always do and I'm going to listen and then I'll take us out at the end of the podcast. Okay. I'm not sure there's much uh, that needs to be said beforehand. This is, a, this is a chapter that comes uh, about a third of the way in and it is called I Hate San Francisco. All right. <laughs> Here we go. I Hate San Francisco. The first time I was in San Francisco was for my mother's wedding her third wedding back in the mid seventies. I was already a married woman with two small children of my own and she was having a wedding with bridesmaids. Yep, bridesmaids and a bridal shower with games. I mean, come on, that was one weird trip. The ceremony was at the giant Redwood Grove near the Russian river owned by the Bohemian club of which my stepfather to be was a member. And since he was a member, he was allowed to escort women onto their sacrosanct men-only grounds. We had grown up surrounded by East Coast bleeding heart liberals, and my mother was tying her lot to this whole new thing. In its founding days, the Bohemian Club may have attracted artistic types, but soon after it became an enclave for power-wielding, mostly Republican mucky-mucks like Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. The Manhattan Project meeting took place there. Need I say more? Like I said, it was a very, very weird trip. So I really didn't have time to develop a hatred for San Francisco during that visit, more like a deep discomfort. The hatred started on the next visit when I brought my children. My mother and her new husband said they wanted to take us to dinner because nowhere in the world are there better restaurants than in San Francisco, and we've been everywhere, everywhere. We got dressed up and drove to what was indeed a fancy restaurant. The maitre d' motioned us to follow when my mother said, smoking table, please. He said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but we have no tables available in the smoking section. 
And my mother scanned the restaurant, pointed to a table near the window and said, what about that table? I'm sorry, he said, that is not in the smoking section. Or that one, she said. I'm sorry, ma'am, we have no tables available in the smoking section. She raised her voice and threatened that she would never come to this restaurant again, the thought of which probably made that guy's day. Then, as if she were doing him a big favor, she agreed to eat there anyway, and we were led to a table in the non-smoking section. My two very young children were uncharacteristically quiet, probably confused about what this whole public hissy fit was about. I, of course, was mortified, trying to silently apologize to all the other patrons who couldn't hide their disdain. Then, to top it off, our waiter arrived to take our drink orders, and my mother said, please bring me an ashtray. Her brazenness was a thing to behold. I wish I had just a smidgen of the chutzpah this woman had, but in situations like this, well, I was beat-faced embarrassed. What followed was a predictable back and forth that involves him saying it's a non-smoking table and her saying that she smokes, she has rights, and she would like an ashtray, and him saying he's sorry, but that's impossible, and her getting louder and more insistent, and him apologizing again, and her finally saying, do you know who I am? No, mother, he does not know who you are. Nobody knows who you are, at least not in the way you mean it, not in the way you hunger. My next visit, I joined my mother and her husband on a house hunting trip in the city since they had been living in his bachelor apartment. I'd never criticized my mother's real estate instincts. It's not that. She was smart and shrewd. But that trip, riding in the cramped up excuse for a backseat in a Fiat Spider, it's more like I was a prisoner forced to witness something dreamt up by Edward Albee. Bickering just does not do it justice. Belittling, debasing, disdain, followed by some passive or passive-aggressive retort. Don't bother fighting, man. She'll get her way in the end. We know that. Everyone knows that. The trip after was planned so I could attend the opening of a play my stepfather wrote called Everyone's Favorite City, by which he naturally meant San Francisco, so already I'm nervous. For weeks beforehand, I heard all about how many famous people would be there, how they were sure it would be a long run, how they had such great pre-show buzz. I'm not sure I can paint a picture that does this justice. First, there were about six people in the audience, and none of them were famous. Second, it was a musical with really, truly, ridiculously awful music. The story was a self-indulgent exercise about how lucky they were to live in San Francisco, the city where every single soul in the whole wide world wants to live, that they were the lucky few, blah, 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 blah. Three of the six people in the audience left after about 20 minutes, and I spent the rest of the time trying like hell to figure out what I could possibly say after it was finally, blessedly over. It was the apotheosis of pathetic. On my next trip, I visited on my own. My plan was to help around her apartment with things she couldn't do, hadn't gotten around to, or hadn't noticed needed doing. I'm cool with that. It was much easier to talk while I was cleaning the oven or sorting through massive piles of paper. She needed to go to the bank and take care of some business, but when we got there, there was a long line. Let me take a minute here to say that the concept of a line never meant anything to my mother. At worst, a line only made her charge to the front a little less direct. I held onto the sleeve of her coat, trying to keep us in our proper place in line, but I was no match for that dame. 
She marched up to the front of the line, right past all the other people like she owned the damn place, leaned close to the window and started talking to the teller as I exchanged conspiratorial looks up and down the line, trying to silently say, yes, I know, she's a piece of work, I'm so sorry. The teller did her best to inform my mother that there were other people ahead of her, which she kindly returned to the end of the line. Someone will be with you as soon as possible. All the while, my mother's voice getting louder, more insistent, more imperious, culminating in, do you know who I am? Again, no, mom, no one knows who you are. This wasn't the last time I witnessed my mother hurling that pseudo question at someone she felt had wronged her. But that question has been persistent. Do you know who I am? I do not, mother. I do not know who you are. You are a maddening mystery. And because it makes me feel just a little better to believe that you acted not intentionally, not maliciously, but rather out of psychological myopia and sheer lack of insight, it's a good guess that you didn't know who you were either. You surely didn't know who I was. How could you? There was no room in there for another living soul. Dan Siegel, who is a leading expert in the field of child development, talks about the importance of the mother's gaze. He is being literal here. How an infant sees herself reflected in the loving gaze of her mother impacts how the infant grows to feel about herself and her place in the world. The mother's eyes act as a mirror, reflecting back a loving, safe, secure image for the child to absorb. I doubt my sister and I had that. Understand, I do believe that my mother loved me, at least to the extent that she was capable, but her own sucking need for validation was so strong, I highly doubt that her gaze provided us with a sense of security and self-worth. I often think of a line in the movie Mother when Debbie Reynolds tells her son, played by Albert Brooks, that she loves him. He patiently replies, I know you think you do. So when I think about my mother's cringeworthy reproof, do you know who I am? Now I hear it less as a rebuke and more as an actual question. I hear her asking this of herself in some kind of desperate effort to fill a bucket that clearly has a giant hole in it. And I hear it as a question I have been grappling with myself for decades, early on looking to others, read men, to define me, and only in my later years developing what I would call a reliable sense of myself. When you combine the parental pathology with the utter lack of information about family history, it's no mystery why that question would become a lifelong inquiry for me. So San Francisco is decidedly not my favorite city, even if they might have the best restaurants on planet Earth. I know I can't claim legit PTSD. That would be way too princessy and too dismissive of all the people who have all the reason in the world to startle at a car backfiring. But when I'm there, as soon as the plane starts its descent, I start feeling it. The bracing, the carapace forming over my heart, all the ways I have felt smaller and undone and wishing mightily that I could be a better person. That's the end of the chapter. Oh, absolutely bravo, Liz. So brilliantly done. Um, I read on your website that this had a lot of humor in it, and it does, but it's absolutely appropriately wonderful humor. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Great job. Thank you for sharing this. And thank you for writing the story. Like I said, I do feel like, you know, that that there's somebody out there that's going to read this and going to be like, I identify. (laughs) I 
hope so. That would be my fondest wish. Yes, mine too. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. And um, listeners, make sure that you go to the show notes and follow Liz. Liz, are you on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for others to find you? All three, yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Sorry about that drop. <laughs> My cell phone dropped. <laughs> all three. So find, find Liz on all three, you guys, follow her. And um, if you get to hear her reading publicly, go and read and let her know you heard her on the podcast. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Vicki. I really appreciate you having me. You bet. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter, where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.